Vanity Fair. I want to uh, bring you to a passage of scripture this morning that gets at the question, what is it that motivates you? Um, Vanity Fair was um, just a town full of the exploration of vanity. So all of the things that could have titillated uh, the human being, it was, it was all there. You could go and the Ferris wheel was running all year long kind of thing. First John 2 um, has the Apostle John talking to us and he says this, do not love this world, right? Do not love Vanity Fair. Keep going. Get through Vanity Fair as quickly as you can. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world and its desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, and selfishness, which are not of the Father but are of the world, is passing. But anyone who does what pleases God lasts forever. Do not love the world. It's easy to say, um, sort of easy to meditate on a little bit, and yet, every single day of our lives, the challenge is out there about whether or not we will love the world. And first of all, what do we mean by the world? Why would we not be called to love the world? So obviously, we love the world of people. We are called to love the world of people because God is a God who has loved the world of people so much that he gave the life of his only son for that world. So that's not the world that we're not supposed to love. Um, but there's this other concept in the New Testament that is, that is called the world. And what it means is a world system. It's, it's a world um, in terms of values and practices um, and, in fact, motivators. So the world in which we live has a system um, that is a motivator in, in three directions – for our human lives. Um, the three directions, and these have been often pointed out, um, the three directions are sex and money and power. So the three dark evils or the three dark temptations, the three things that um, have their stands and their, their Ferris wheels and rides in Vanity Fair are the three typical motivators of humankind. So as we live in the world, there are three engines that are operating, and we may well find that one or two or three of them are operative in us, and to allow them to operate in us is to love the world, according to John. So we need to figure out how we change that, how we don't love those things, and how we discern how it is we're supposed to live in this physical world and yet not be people of the world in that dark definition of the world. I read a, um, a business article, and it was very interesting. This, the writer identified the three drivers, the three motivators. And he said when he begins a, a workshop, he asks the very question that I asked, what motivates you? And he said when we sort of peel away the layers a little bit, we can actually pull things down to those three motivators. And when people are honest about the, the things that are in their hearts and in their minds and in their behavior, um, we find that it may well be sex or money or power. Now, th they're a whole lot more respectable than those three words, right? So um, 
the motivator that we called sex is the motivator of experience, right? It's of of the actual act of living, the the exhilaration that there is of living um, in its darkest forms. It is inappropriate expression of our humanness and our fleshliness um, that we would call sex. The second one is a very respectable value and motivator in our world and in our part of, of the world particularly, um, where people might unabashedly say, I am motivated by money. Why that guy right back there, sinner though he is, would even say so in church, that money is a motivator. And if we were honest around our tables, we might say, well, maybe is that not okay? And we would, we would have to sort of qualify it as to how it would be or would not be okay. Um, the third thing is power, which is probably the, um, the kind of washed notion of influence, of significance. Um, and so if we, if we get each of those, those words and those ideas, those motivators, as clean as we could find them, in their best form, um, would we be able to sort of drill down in our own hearts and minds and say, hmm, yeah, I think it could be that that one would be the primary one for me. The person who wrote this um, article said that he has discovered that if you get one of them, you can get all three. So if you get money, you can probably get the other two. If you get power, you can probably get the other two. If you get sex, you can probably get the other two. So I, I think about that, and I told myself, do not, do not say the word Trump. I didn't say the word, right? Honestly, our world is a world where there is, um, there is a festering um, expression of these motivators that we allow to, to exist, and more than allow to exist, we feed on them. We... We fill our entertainment with them. We fill our our day-to-day -day experiences with them. And we might have to say, boy, if, if I was going through Vanity Fair, I might not have my wits about me because I might easily be drawn aside because I will acknowledge that these are things that are the operators of the world. And they are the operating systems of the devil. So he knows that he would like to, to trip us up, and that the three things by which he might are as old as creation. So what happened when Eve uh, encountered the apple, or whatever the fruit was that she took, right? She looked at it, and she saw that it was, you know, it was pleasant to the eyes, um, it tasted delicious, and it promised to give her wisdom. So what could be wrong with those things? And Satan has taken those notions and has traveled through human history with them and said, what would be wrong with things that look good to the eyes, that feel good to the flesh, and that help you become a wise person? What could be wrong with those things? And God's answer to that would be, it, it all depends um, to whom you serve allegiance as you allow those three things to operate. Um, if you seize autonomy from your creator, as Eve did and Adam, then they become toxic to you. But if you're following your creator, um, your master, your God, then 
then they can maybe be properly understood and, and properly handled. So, do not love the world or its goods. Um, as we dig into this a little bit, let me just um, identify the three, as they typically are. What can happen, there are these three Ds that can happen if they become operative in our lives as strong motivators. So what can happen is that we would most easily maybe be distracted by them. So I, I get filled with notions about making a lot of money. I get filled with notions of having a lot of sex. Or I get filled with notions of having a lot of power. And suddenly I find that my life becomes a life of distraction. That, that wherever I was intending to head, however I was intending to head there, I begin to be preoccupied with these things. And preoccupation with those things um, will function as a distractor for me. And if I'm not careful, having been distracted by sex, money, or power, I may well be derailed by them. And each of them has ample power to derail a life. Uh, so to say, yeah, 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 sex, money, and power, I know, I know. No, we don't know because any one of them can derail a person's life. And many of us probably could cite examples of that, people that we know or people that we've heard about or people that we watch, and we say, my goodness, what at the beginning maybe looked harmless or looked a bit sort of eyebrow-raising then has turned out in their lives to derail these people. And we wonder if they can actually be put back on the rails, some of them as we watch them. Uh, and then ultimately they, they get destroyed. Because these three distractors, these three motivators, um, have the intrinsic power to destroy life uh, when they're properly contextualized and properly suited in our relationship with God. They can have their place and they can fulfill their, their, their function. But in a dark sense, or in the, the sense of the world that is passing, that John says, do not love this, those three motivators have the opportunity to distract, to derail, and even, in fact, to destroy us. What do we do about that? Well, in the classic sense, um, you can take three vows. You can take the vow of celibacy, the vow of poverty, and the vow of obedience. If you're celibate, then you're not having the struggles with sex. If you're poor, you're not having the struggles with money. And if you're obedient, you're not having the struggles with power. So there we go, and we might say, yeah, way back, centuries and centuries ago, the monastic orders licked this. What they actually did was something like the Jews did in the Old Testament, which was the, the ethic of avoidance. How can you be sure you don't do something you're not supposed to do? Put guards so far around it that you can't even get close. Um, so, for example, the Lord's name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. How can we be sure not to take the Lord's name in vain? Just don't say it, right? So how can we be sure that we stay sexually pure, don't have sex, be celibate. That's the end of the matter, right? Well, we know that that's not the end of the matter because the world system is empowered by darkness and one of the strong areas of temptation is the area of sexual temptation. So even with a vow of celibacy, I might find that I am prey to that temptation. 
You've probably seen the little cartoon, just a little levity here, that has a scribe, um, a monk or something, and he's looking at something he's copying, and he goes, oh my goodness, it says celebrate. Oh, wait. He was copying a script, and he said, it actually says celebrate. Oh, come on. Not celibate. It's not, it's not, oh, I get it. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not that you don't get it. It's just not funny, right? Similarly, poverty. Um, so um, if, as, as I fill out my income tax return, um, I'm asked because I'm, I'm, I'm claiming clergy housing allowance. I'm asked if I'm a member of a religious order. And if I am, have I taken a vow of poverty? So literally, that's being asked by the CRA is I'm saying I need a break for my housing allowance. Have you taken a vow of poverty? And then have you taken the vow of obedience where you simply do not ask questions. Somebody tells you what to do and you do exactly what you're told. That way you're not going to be, you know, sort of tempted by power and uh, rank and that sort of thing. Well, um, a version of those things that probably is more useful to us um, is in there's some new Anglican orders, um, and rather than celibacy, they would take a vow of purity. So they would say, I, I'm not taking a vow of celibacy so that I will be celibate and not be in a sexual relationship with another person, but I will be held accountable to being a person of purity whether I'm married or unmarried, um, purity would replace celibacy. In place of poverty, they would cite simplicity and say, well, you don't need to be absolutely impoverished to be living a life of discipline, but you might have to make some commitments for simplicity. And I think that's probably good for all of us. I mean, how far do we have to look uh, to find a storage facility where people have so much stuff that they actually have to rent more than that. Their garage was already full, full like years ago. Now they have to go beyond the garage. They have to go to a storage facility and rent another place to put all their stuff. And just common sense would say, surely we don't need all this stuff. So even as we go through the uh, the forty days, you know, one discipline would be to say, I'm I'm going to try to just pare down all the stuff I have. Because the more stuff we have, the more management it takes. And so living a disciplined life uh, may involve just trying to get more simple in the way that we live. And then rather than obedience, saying we're going to be doing what we're told to do, um, accountability says I will order my life so that I'm accountable for how I live. And thus, I may be addressing by disciplines the three um, directives that are driven by the world if, if I allow them to go into the, the dark um, realm. And so these, these are motivators for me um, that are operating against the, motor, the motivators of power and sex and um, money, or power and money and sex. But let me ask if... Um, if we could 
kind of say, well, when when these things are divested of their dark power, when they're not um, the phenomena that they could be in the world as a system, since there are these three realities and there are these three motivators, can they be used for good? I mean, what would it mean to not love the world, which would mean, well, I, I don't serve um, sex, money, and power. That's, n that's not what is driving me. But there are three realms in which I live, and they are typically realms in which people find motivation, often empowered by the world. But what would they be like if they were operating in, in my life? So if I ask these three questions um, about experience and currency and influence. So experience would be the, the sex part. Currency, currency would be the money part. And influence would be the power part. Well, maybe in a good way, one of those three is kind of at the heart of how I'm wired. So you might say, well, all things being equal, um, I'm good with money. So is that, would that be a sinful thing to say or, or would it be a responsible thing to say? be a responsible thing to say, right? Or all things considered, you might say, I really love living life. I mean, I, I love the world in which we live. I love my friends in this world. I love the raptors. Right, I I love sports. I love, and and we so do we say oh stop doing that. That's loving the world. No, but it maybe is saying that the thing that drives you. You might say I'm, I'm not great with money, but I really love living life to the fullest. I love traveling. I love meeting new people, being new places, and then influence is. Um, in its positive spin, is not wanting power over people or prestige over people, but it's basically saying, I know that I'm a person who has influence. So it, it's false humility that says, oh, not me, you know, I have nothing to offer, I have I've no advice to give. And somebody needs to say, well, stop that. Because I, I, I don't discern that you're looking for power, I don't discern that you're looking for, the, for press. But we both know that you influence people. And all of us would have to recognize that we influence somebody or other. And hopefully the influence is for good if we're followers of Christ. But if we're to try to get at the, the things that motivate us, the things that stir us up and, and um, sort of prescribe and predict our behaviors, maybe we could ask these questions, what do I do? And when I answer what it is that I do, how do I submit that to, to the kingdom of Jesus and say, in the kingdom of Jesus that is coming but already here, what are the things that I do that, in which he can be Lord? Um, we've had this terrible dichotomy forever that the things that are important belong inside a building like this. Um, that what you do away from here is not, is not important, except for, you know, if it maybe helps you make money to pay for this or it contributes, you know, you volunteering for this or whatever. What if we got it that just the way that we live life and the things that we enjoy in life, that Jesus wants to be there with us as we live life and bringing meaning and fullness and and enjoy to the very activities that we have. 
Um, what if the language about knowing Jesus and partnering with Jesus was, was all together with what we're doing when we're enjoying the lives that we live? Um, what do I have that can be used as the currency of the kingdom? Again, doesn't have to be money at all, can be to start with. But what currency has, has God given me an affinity towards um, that I'm able to gather resources, I'm able to, to gather it, maybe something in terms of knowledge and wisdom as well as, as financial or material resources. And then influence, rather than asking the question, how can I be important, how can I leave a mark, um, why don't we ask questions of influence and say, who, who, who can I help? I mean, so what, what do I do? Where am I that I might be rubbing shoulders with people? And um, it might start to occur to me that there's a way that this experience of with people is something that Jesus wants to be involved with. And as I enjoy that, as we do whatever it is we do together that we enjoy doing together, um, why don't I wonder about what currency I have that could be used by God for the kingdom of Jesus in this friendship or this relationship with this person? And then who, who can I help? What, what do I have? What do I know that could be useful to somebody else by which I can help them? Um, as we get into the 40 days of Acts, I hope that that's exactly what happens, is that we, we just keep on looking for people that we can help. By the way, there's a principle that we're going to look at in a few weeks um, about the person of peace. And a, a very good thing to bring with us into the 40 Acts and the 40 days of generosity is that not only do we seek to give help to people, but we are people who should receive help from other people. And that's sometimes harder for us to do than to offer help or give it. So when Jesus sent the 12 and he sent the 70 or 72, however, I, I don't ever get why there are two spare guys, but that's for scholars to figure out. When he sent them, he said, go to a house and knock on the door and say peace. And if they say peace to you, back to you, then go on in. And sit down and eat whatever they offer you and stay there as long as they invite you to stay there. So that means receive help. So bringing the message and the power of Jesus is as much to avail ourselves of the help that others offers us um, as distinct from the help that we bring, presuming to offer to them. So who can I help that might be the answer to that motivator in my life. So steamrolled through that, those three things I think we could, we could argue around and say, you know what, that may be a finite set. I mean, it could be that generally speaking, one of the three um, is the area of motivation in most human lives. Sometimes it's sort of cleaned up. It's possible for it to be entirely cleaned up as we submit it to the kingdom. Um, but as we ask a question this morning, what motivates me? What motivates you? Let's look down inside and see what that is and then see if we have properly assigned it to the kingdom. So what John said, don't, don't love the world. Well, well, why not? Because the world and its goods is passing. So the ridiculous thing as we look at sex and money and power 
and realize that there are people who, who actually do commit their whole lives to get one of the three. And at the end of the day, John says, why? Because the world and its desires is passing, but the one who does the will of the Father lasts forever. So whatever it is that drives me, whatever it is that motivates me, I need to have a good look at it. I need to scrutinize it. I need to know to what degree I have bought into the Vanity Fair version of it, to what degree I have responsibly taken um, the proper driver out of it and said, this is how it is used in my life for the kingdom. And then I need to assess whether or not I am living to do the will of the Father because everything I do, whether I might be fighting against sex or money or power or however I've discerned my way through that, whatever I've been able to do that is for the glory of the Father, it'll last forever. So no matter how much money you make, if that was the point, it doesn't matter because the, the world and its desires is passing. No matter how, many, how much sex you have, doesn't matter because this world and its desires is passing. No matter how much influence you had, it doesn't matter. I mean, the people that are famous today will hardly be famous in 10 years. They will certainly not be famous in 50 years. And only the few will be famous and remembered for centuries, right? And yet here we are, um, sort of maneuvering our way through all of the details of our life and asking, how important am I? You know, what are people thinking about me? And the Bible has far better ways to live our lives in that respect as well as the other two as we journey on through. So what motivates you? We've had lots of good answers. Don't give up the coffee. Don't give up the, give up the money. Uh, don't give up the other good things. But honestly, look down and ask yourself, what do I really want in my life? I mean, if everything was cleared away except I, I could focus on that question. What would the answer be? This is what I want my life to be about. Um, and if it's about the things that have to do with the will of the Father to glorify him, they will last forever. Things might not even be noticed what you do here, but when they're done for the right reason, then they will last forever and forever.